Good afternoon. Welcome to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We look forward to having you on the show. Thanks for joining us. This afternoon's episode is titled The Image of Jealousy. It shall be focused on the study of Ezekiel chapter 8. Before we go any further, we'll begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before thee today, knowing that you're a jealous God, Father, who wants us to serve you with a true heart, we pray, Father, may you give us the spirit of fidelity towards you, Father, and being faithful to the promise and to your word. We pray, may you speak to us today and wash our sins from our lives through the waters of the word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel 8. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward fire, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of an hand, and took me by a lock of mine head, and the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy? And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in. And behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jaazaniah the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. And a thick cloud of incense went up, then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imagery? For they say, The Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. And he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. 
And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men, with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east. And they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and have returned to provoke me to anger, and lo, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore will I also deal in fury. Mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. Up next, we shall listen to a sermon by Rev. William Branham out of the Church Age book. We shall listen to the Ephesian Church Age. We'll begin at minute 1943 up to minute 3330. I trust you'll find it to be a blessing. The messenger, angel, to the church of Ephesus was the Apostle Paul. That he was the messenger to the first age of the Gentile era cannot be denied. Though to Peter was granted the authority to open the doors to the Gentiles, it was given to Paul to be their apostle and prophet. He was the prophet messenger to the Gentiles. His prophetic office, by which he received the full revelation of the word for the Gentiles, authenticated him as their apostolic messenger. To this agreed the other apostles at Jerusalem. Galatians 1, 12 through 19. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Galatians 2, 2. And I went up by revelation, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Galatians 2, 6 through 9. But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Romans 11:13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Paul founded the church at Ephesus about the middle of the first century. 
This enables us to set the date of the beginning of the Ephesian church age, about 53 A.D. His manner of ministering set the pattern that all future messengers were to aspire to, and actually sets the pattern for every true minister of God. Though he would not attain to such heights in the prophetic realm as did Paul, Paul's ministry had a threefold quality and was as follows. First of all, Paul was absolutely true to the word. He never deviated from it, no matter what the cost. Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Galatians 2, 11 and 14. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? 1 Corinthians 14, 36-37 What? Came the word of God out from you? Or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Notice that Paul was unorganized, but spirit-led, as when God moved upon Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. Jerusalem's council never sent Paul out, nor did it have any power or jurisdiction over him. God and God alone did the sending and the leading. Paul was not of men, but of God. Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Galatians 2, 3 through 5. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Secondly, his ministry was in the power of the Spirit, thereby demonstrating the spoken and written word. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Acts 14, 8 through 10. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Acts 20, 9 through 12. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, and fell down from the third loft, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. 
When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Acts 28, 7 through 9. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Thirdly, he had the evident fruit of his God-given ministry. 2 Corinthians 12, 11. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commanded of you. For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. 1 Corinthians 9, 2. If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul had been the means of bringing in multitudes of the Gentile sheep. He fed them and cared for them until they brought forth righteous fruit and were prepared to meet the Lord as a part of the Gentile bride. At the time of the giving of the revelation, according to tradition, Paul had already died a martyr, but John was carrying on in his stead exactly as Paul had done in the days of his ministry. The death of Paul before the revelation was given does not at all annul the fact that he was the messenger to the Ephesian church age. For the messenger to every age, regardless of when he appears or goes, is the one who influences that age for God by means of a word-manifested ministry. Paul was that man. The City of Ephesus The city of Ephesus was one of the three greatest cities of Asia. It was often called the third city of Christian faith, with Jerusalem first and Antioch second. It was a very rich city. The government was Roman, but the language was Greek. Historians believe that John, Mary, Peter... Andrew and Philip were all buried in this beautiful city. Paul, who founded the true faith in this city, pastored here only about three years. But when he was absent from the flock, he was continually, prayerfully mindful of them. Timothy was its first bishop. 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. The very name Ephesus has a strange compound meaning, aimed at and relaxed. The high aspirations of this age that had begun with the fullness of the Spirit, the depth of God, whereby they were aiming at the high calling of God, began to give way to a less watchful attitude. A less ardent following of Jesus Christ began to manifest itself as an omen that in the future ages, the physical vehicle called the church would sink to the awfulness of the depth of Satan. It had become relaxed and was drifting. Already the age was backsliding. It had left its first love, 
the tiny seed planted in that Ephesian age would one day grow in the spirit of error until all foul birds of the air would roost in its branches. So inoffensive to human reasoning would that little plant appear to that new Eve, the new church, that again she would be deceived by Satan. The Ephesian age had presented to her the opportunity for God's best, and for a while she prevailed and then relaxed, and in that unguarded moment, Satan planted the seed of complete ruination. The very religion of Ephesus types out perfectly this first church age and sets the tenor of the ages to come. In the first place, the magnificent temple of Diana that was so many years in building, housed in its sacred courts the most lusterless and unobtrusive image of Diana that one could imagine. She was absolutely unlike any other of her images seated in the other temples dedicated to her. She was simply an almost shapeless female figure that finally sunk into the block of wood from which she was carved, and her two arms were formed of two simple bars of iron. How perfectly this depicts the spirit of Antichrist loosed in the first age. There he was loosed in the midst of the people and yet took no shape as to alarm the people. Yet the two arms of iron bars showed that it was his intent to crush the work of God as he made his inroads. And no one seemed to notice him or what he was doing. But one day they would notice when with those arms of iron his deeds became doctrine, and his doctrine became the law of an empire. The order of temple service is also very revealing. There were, first of all, priests who were eunuchs. This sterile priesthood presaged the sterility of a people who would drift from the word, or a people who claim to know God apart from the word are as barren of life as is a sterile eunuch. Secondly, the temple had within its confines the virgin priestesses who performed the religious acts of the temple. This showed forth the day that ceremony and form, ritual and works, would take the place of the Holy Spirit, and no longer would charismatic manifestation fill the temple of God. Over them all was the high priest, a man of political power and public influence, portraying what was already in progress, though not too manifested, that is, the church would soon be given over to the leadership of man with man's plans and man's ambitions, and thus saith the Holy Ghost, would no longer be a living reality. And underneath them all were the temple slaves who had no choice but obedience to the religious hierarchy. What can this mean but the day would come when the vested clergy, by political maneuvering, state help, and the substitution of word and spirit for creeds, dogmas, and human leadership, would enslave the laity? while the leaders luxuriated in ill-gotten wealth and enjoyed their filthy pleasures, and the poor people who were to be served according to God now became the servants. As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy word that You've spoken today with us out of and how You've changed our lives and how, Father, You've showed us the way for You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we pray, Father, may it change us from the inside until, Father, we're the word image. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So please email us at honeyintherock2020 at gmail.com. We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. 
Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you. keep our children anymore It used to be so fresh and new The first love was divine I was the empty vessel Where the feeling wine It's like a faded memory A dream I can't recall But every now and then I hear A distant urgent call Where do we find him? Right where you left him How do we get back the way you came? How do we love him the way he loved you? With a brilliant burning flame Remember now From whence you fall in The works you did at first There's a salve waiting for your eyes And a water for your thirst Come out of her, my precious bride Be spotless and be pure The God of Elijah is here I'm coming home, I've been a fool, a prodigal and blind. It took a while to realize I had left you far behind. Your holiness could not endure my selfish worldly right. Your word could not be bent to fit 
my sinful, foolish pride. And now I've found him right where I left him. Oh, and now I've come back the way I came. And now I love him the way he loved me. With the brilliant burning flame I'm so glad I found him Right where I left him I'm so glad I've come back The way I came And now I love him The way he loved me with a brilliant burning, a brilliant burning, with a brilliant.